Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Syracuse is playing for the national title. It's too long, and Syracuse is your national champion. Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? What's up, Syracuse fans? It's Mike McAllister from AllSyracuse.com with episode 50 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast presented by Hoffman Sausage Company and Bet Online. I am here with the man, the myth, the legend, Josh Crawford, to break down all things Syracuse football. We don't have a game to look at so we're gonna have a little fun with another team comparison uh it's the first time syracuse is five and zero in 35 years 35 years ago was 1987 oh by the way syracuse went undefeated and finished fourth in the country that year so josh we're gonna have a little fun comparing this team to that team i, th- I think it'll be uh enjoyable no i definitely you know I, I plan to enjoy myself and again you know another week full immersion process you know learning some new issue history getting wit or getting my web my witness from behind the ears and you know learning all about the program and you know some of the unex- some of the unknown aspects you know people thinking this is a quote unquote basketball school so i'm you know i'm in session i'm in class in session i'm ready to be taught sir absolutely it's going to be great but before we get to that There's a couple of recruiting notes that I want to go over. So as we mentioned, Syracuse is on a bye this week. And so the coaching staff is gallivanting around the country. Big word, ACT word. Around the country. And looking for recruits uh, visiting high schools uh, this Friday and Saturday, they'll be at high school games, um, showing some love to some of their recruiting targets. And I just kind of want to go over some of the places that they're going to be visiting. So defense coordinator, Tony white is going to be in Florida, specifically in the Tampa and Orlando areas. Wide receivers coach, Mike Johnson is going to be in Maryland, Philly and South Jersey. Mm. Safeties coach and passing game coordinator, Nick Monroe is going to be in New York city and North Jersey. Defensive line coach, Chris Acuff is going to be in Pennsylvania and Virginia. Offensive coordinator Robert Anai was spotted in Utah today, ah! Thursday, as we um, as we record this podcast. And yes, that sounds very odd, right? Syracuse recruiting the state of Utah, but Robert Anai, as we know, coached in BYU at BYU for a number of years. So he has relationships in Utah with high school coaches. So if Syracuse is looking for someone at a certain position, he can hit up some of his contacts in there and say, Hey, listen, we're looking for a defensive lineman, maybe someone that's power five caliber, but is under the radar. You got anybody for me, you know, if something like that, or, Hey, I need a tight end. I need a running back. I need a wide receiver, whatever it is. Um, you know, he can, he can hit up some of those contacts. So I'm guessing there's um, that's part of why he's there. In addition to those coaches being out and about all across the country, including Utah. Um, 
Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports, contests, and events with first to market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in game betting, props, and futures. Head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BLEAV50, B L E A V 50, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. I'd say one of the underrated states in terms of its Syracuse fandom, Utah, probably lots of orange fans out there. I'm guessing if you're not a BYU or, or U- Utah Utes fan, you're a I, Syracuse. Fan. I th- hold on. Hold on. I got it. We got, we got a pause right here. I think, I think, <laughs> I, think I think the bias might be slipping a little bit. Maybe. A little bit. I, I, I like, you, why would, I mean, I was about to say, even talking about, you know, Utah as a recruiting ground, like, there's no one how guys, you know how coaches operate, and you know you think about Utah like yes, I was. I mean, I don't think about stellar talent from there, but you're on the West Coast, so you know thinking about Utah, you you got easy access to Nevada, Arizona, you know states right in there that may be more known for having be hot beds of talent, but uh, like I, I'm sure like, he's gonna hit up those states, you know. Like, but, why would you? I'm a bit. Why would like what is like you think you think SU is big out in Salt Lake City? Like you think there's you know my here's what here's here's my theory. Walking around. Here's my theory. There is actually a city in Utah called Syracuse. Syracuse, Utah, is a thing. It oh. is um, there's a population of over thirty thousand people. Um, the area code is eight oh one, which is cool, I guess. Um, so. <laughs> You know, there's a Syracuse, Utah. So if you're not going to be a BYU fan, you've got some sort of issue with the Utah Utes. You know, maybe someone that was going to school there insulted you for some reason. So you're like, I don't like them anymore. And you're like, hey, there's a city named Syracuse in Utah. Maybe you don't know any better. You're like, that must be Syracuse, Utah. I'm going to root for Syracuse. I don't know why they're orange, but cool. So, you know, maybe there's a connection there. A little bit of a stretch, probably. Hey, I like the enthusiasm, though. I mean, again. Full immersion journalism, you know, 501 did not thought you might have been trolling when you said that, but Google has confirmed like (laughs) there is a Syracuse, Utah. There absolutely is 30,000 people strong. Has seen rapid growth and development since the 1990s. Wikipedia telling a blossoming a population of SU fans, a blossoming metropolis of orange fans for sure. Okay, now in addition to all these places that that they're going to be visiting. Um, there is Syracuse recently extended an offer to a junior college offensive lineman. His name is Isaiah Jada. Um, and he's originally from California. He's actually playing his, um, junior college football out in Utah. Um, so maybe that's where Robert and I was checking out, just saying, uh, but he, what's interesting about him, it's not overly interesting that Syracuse is offering a junior college offensive lineman. It makes sense. You're losing Matthew Bergeron after this year, uh, most likely going to the professional ranks. And so you could look for someone that's got some experience that can come in and step in and take over his spot at, at left tackle. Um, so the fact that they're offering an offensive lineman at the junior college level is not overly surprising, but this is someone who is currently committed to South Carolina. And 
we can say whatever we want about Syracuse and how they're going to recruit Utah. Like it's nobody's business and it's going to be this huge new pipeline and all that stuff and joke around and whatever. But the reality of the situation is Syracuse isn't going to make a living on the recruiting trail, trying to flip sec commits. They're not <laughs> right. So the fact that this guy is committed to South Carolina and Syracuse still offered, I find interesting because I, I don't believe Syracuse is in the business of offering prospects that they think they have no chance with. You do that usually early on in a recruiting cycle. Well, that kid's a five-star. We're going to offer him and see if he happens to have any interest. You get this late in a recruiting cycle, you're not just going to offer a kid just to see what happens. You, you must have some sort of feeling that you've got at least a legitimate shot to try to make an impression on someone. So I found it interesting that they extended an offer to a junior college offensive lineman who's committed to an SEC school, even if South Carolina is not a powerhouse to the level of the Alabamas and Floridas and Georgias and all of that. So I, I thought it was worth noting that uh you know he could be someone for Syracuse fans to keep an eye on for the rest of the recruiting cycle that said it's comparison time let's get into 2022 Syracuse football versus 1987 Syracuse football and Josh I know you've done some research on your end to learn a little bit more about Syracuse football in 1987 um what are your impressions when you look at that 1987 football team, seeing some of the names on there, um, you know, just being a fan of football in general, recognizing some from, you know, perhaps their time in the NFL and, and kind of looking at, at what that team looked like back then. Um, I mean, you know, just taking it right straight from the horse's mouth, you know, a conversation that we had right before we started recording, um, talking about some, you, you said Rob, you, the, the name Rob Moore mean anything to you? I'm like, well, that's a pretty generic name. I, you know, I could imagine a lot of people having that name. But for me, you know, I think about the, the Saints receiver, you know. So, yeah, and that happened to be the Rob Moore that you were talking about, that, that happened to be, be in, uh, in discussion. So just uh, just casual names like that, names that I've casually encountered as a sports fan um, being on this Syracuse team. Um, even last episode talking about Keith Bullock on the, the other issue team, 1992? No, no, what was it? Uh, 97. 97. Um, you know, again, it, it is a full murder thing for me to know. I mean, I knew about mostly about guys like Dwight Franny, uh, older, younger guys like Chandler Jones, Arthur Jones, uh, even some of the recent guys like Trill Williams. But um, I didn't realize, um, you know, how deep the history of uh, issue football ran. So uh, to see some of these names that, like I said, I casually encountered, you know, just a cursory glance of it lets you know how successful, you know, the team was. Um, and, of course, my, uh, my bosses slash friends in passion and ran about somebody not winning the Heisman for this team, you know, just lets me know, um, if nothing else, there's a large advantage in quarterback play for one of the school, one of the teams versus the other. So, um, yeah, again, it, it, I mean, we're, we're joking, but it is a thing to where, you know, I'm being fully immersed in learning about uh, issue football, and it's a thing to where, it's it's a story tradition to where it's you you don't see that for a lot of programs you know even for my hometown University of Memphis you know we just got hot a little bit so it's cool to see that you know again it should be known as a basketball school but but having a storied and consistent uh, football tradition going back what was it forty years from now fifty years ago yeah well and so what's funny is you you mentioned nineteen ninety two um, when when thinking back to the the team that we compared this year's team too, um, in the last episode. Um, and, and even though you meant 1997, but just 1992 was, was an interesting year for Syracuse football. Just as a quick side note, uh, they went 10 and two that year and finished number six in the country. Uh, they beat number 10, Colorado, a team that had one Cordell Stewart, 
um, and Michael Westbrook on that team. Um, that was. I'm assuming the people, the older, the older people are gonna know because I feel like you said it with some pauses. I was gonna, I was gonna know it, and you know, 2000 baby, Mike, 2000 baby. That's all I gotta say. So <laughs> you don't know Cordell Stewart? Oh my goodness. Um, so yeah, I mean that 1992 team. Um, you should know these names. Here, these were their two starting wide receivers, Marvin Harrison and Kadri Ismail. Marvin Harrison went to Colorado. No, Syracuse. Oh, I didn't know that, but. Nah, that's a that's Marvin a Harrison was a starting wide receiver. Kadri Ismail, who played a bunch of years in the NFL, won a Super Bowl with the Ravens. Um, he was he was on that team, and Marvin Graves was a starting quarterback. If you're not a Syracuse fan, that name probably doesn't do much for you. But um, yeah, ten and two team that finished number six in the country. So uh, just a, another one of those teams around that time that was unbelievable. So back to 1987. Um, you know, one of the ways that, uh, that we often uh, will compare one team to another is we look at their star players, right? And so when you're looking at that 87 team, Don McPherson is the first name that comes to mind. He's He was the quarterback. He should have been the Heisman Trophy winner. Um, Tim Brown winning it over him was a joke, uh, but that's a whole separate discussion. But he was easily one of the best players in the country at a minimum. And just had a tremendous year, 2,300 passing yards, 22 touchdowns, five more rushing touchdowns. Um, so I, I think given what he did that year, and he was a finalist for the Heisman Trophy, finished second to Tim Brown, um, that's going to be better than I think what Garrett Schrader's ceiling is for the rest of this season. So the 87 team obviously has an edge there. Uh you know, they, their starting running back that year was Michael Owens. He was a big-time recruit and had a, a solid Syracuse career. Um, Robert Drummond was was the other running back. Uh, those two guys split time um, and both spent a little bit of time in the NFL. Uh, Michael Owens spent time um, with the Dallas Cowboys, um, which, you know, sucks for him. But um, Robert, Robert Drummond – um, spent some time in um, in the NFL with the Philadelphia Eagles. Good for him. Um, before he he ended up going and playing um, in in Canada for quite a few years. So they had some talented running backs, Michael Owens and Robert Drummond, that split time. But neither of them were the level to the level of uh, Sean Tucker. So Syracuse, I believe the the current version of Syracuse has the edge there. And then when you look at the wide receivers. Tommy Kane and the aforementioned Rob Moore, uh, two guys that played multiple years in the NFL. They're going to have a huge advantage over this year's Syracuse team. Rob Moore was filthy as a number one wide receiver. And he had maybe the most iconic moment of that 1987 season when Syracuse hosted Penn State, who was the defending national champions um, in the Carrier Dome. Syracuse had lost to Penn State I don't remember how many times in a row it was, uh, but it was several times in a row that they had lost to Penn state. And that was a big rivalry game. Syracuse was finally trying to get off the schneid and beat them. Um, Syracuse came into that game five and zero and undefeated Penn state was number 10 in the country and the defending national champs. And the very first play of the game, Syracuse ran a freeze option where they faked the option and then threw the ball deep 
and McPherson throws it deep to Rob Moore. And as he's tracking the ball, the Penn State defender falls to the ground. Moore catches it, races to the end zone. The dome is going crazy. The Syracuse sideline is going crazy. They end up running that team out of the building 48 to 21. And the game wasn't even that close. Penn State scored some garbage time touchdowns to, to get it even that close. So that was really where Syracuse cemented itself nationally that, hey, we're we're not just having a good year. We're a legitimate big time team was was blowing out Penn State the way that they did. And I think that's the most iconic moment from 1987. Uh, as I said, Rob Moore was just nasty, and uh, Tommy Kane was pretty darn good himself. Pat Kelly was your tight end. He was a seventh-round NFL draft pick, uh, big body, really good hands, and, and a fantastic blocker at the college level. And then you look off at the offensive line. Uh, Paul Fraze was their starting center, um, and he, he played, um, I'm sorry, defensive line. Uh, Paul Fraze was, was one of their starting defensive tackles and, and he played in the NFL, um, for, for a little bit was a draft pick of the, um, New York Jets. So, Hey, shout out to him. and, and the, their other defensive tackle was Ted Gregory, who ended up being a first round NFL draft pick, uh, from the Broncos. So, um, two, their two interior defensive linemen were both NFL draft picks. Uh, that's going to be a huge edge over what Syracuse has right now. So, you know, I, you start looking at the pro guys that they had, uh, th- th- there was a lot of talent on that 1987 team. There's no doubt. It's tailgating season and no one does it better than Hoffman Sausage Company. Beer bratwurst, jalapeno cheddar sausage, kibasi, and bun-length chicken sausage. Add them to the menu with classic German Franks and snappy grillers, and fans will go wild. Proudly made in New York since 1879, when you bite into a Hoffman, you experience a little bit of upstate history. Taste tells, Hoffman is a proud partner of Syracuse University Athletics. No, I mean, you can look straight from the horse's mouth. You look at, uh, you know, the awards and honors tab of the Wikipedia section, um, you see, you know, Dick McPherson, McPherson, Coach of the Year, Eddie Robinson, Coach of the Year. Shout out to Eddie Robinson. You know, Bobby De- Bobby Doe, Coach of the Year. Paul Bear Bryant Award. You know, I, Walter Camp, Coach of the Year. That's the only one I recognize. Didn't know all these different coaches had these different awards. You look at Don McPherson, Davey O'Brien, Maxwell Award. Like, yeah, that's the one that Bryce Young won in addition to the Heisman for being the best player in college football. Even talk about Ted Gregory, uh, first-team consensus All-American. Like, you know, this team has a lot of good guys. It has NFL talent. You're not getting any guys off this team with any of those – any or coach, you're talking about, you know, Babers, with those accolades. So, yeah, it's just, you know, as me and Millie put it, it's just levels to it. And, you know, Even Tommy Kane was a second-team All-American um, as, as a wide receiver. So, you know, um, it's – there was so much talent on that team. Uh, they had a tremendous year. And, you know, there are a couple of spots on this year's team I think that they have an edge. I, I think the secondary, even though, you know, that year's defense was uh, the strength was up front. This year's defense, the strength is in the secondary. I think Syracuse's secondary in 2022 is better than the secondary was in 1987. And I think they have an edge at running back. And they might even have an edge at linebacker. You know, the, Mikel Jones and, and Marlo Wax are – really, really talented, athletic, fast players. And if you put those players 
back in that game, I think they would have given a lot of teams trouble with how athletic they are and, and how well they move. And Mikel Jones is underrated in terms of his football IQ and how good he is at getting the Syracuse defense in the right spot, in the right play call, adjusting to audibles from the offense, all of that cerebral stuff. I don't think Mikel Jones gets enough credit for, um, you know, I, I like to watch him and I would encourage Syracuse fans watch him when Syracuse lines up in whatever defense that they think they're going to run. And then as the offense starts making adjustments and what Mikel Jones is doing and pointing and calling out keys and different things. And, um, you know, that aspect of his game, I think is so underrated and it, and it goes back to his film study and, and how well he prepares. So I think inserting a guy as athletic as he is in that era would have been really interesting to see. Um, you know, especially if they gave him those monster pads that they had back in the day, right? It, <laughs> I mean, just sometimes they look ridiculous when you start looking at that old film. But, um, you know, it. I, I think he would have he would have made that defense even better than what they were in in '87. So there's certainly some advantages to this 2022 team. Um, you know, the the defensive speed I think is one of them. The talent in the secondary is another. Um, the athleticism of the linebacking group, and then. Um, Sean Tucker offensively, I think is, is the main one, basically everywhere else. Matthew Bergeron probably is another one at, at left tackle that you could give an edge to this year's team. But I think most other places um, you're going to look at 1987 um, having an edge there. Now that we're done comparing this year's team to the 1987 team, that was definitely fun and a little bit different. Uh, but you know, Syracuse, as we mentioned, doesn't play this weekend. So, um, you know, we can, we can do some different things like that. But what we're going to do now is, and this is the perfect time for it, given who they played already and who's left on the schedule and the fact that it's a bye week. Let's take a look at the last seven games of the season for Syracuse football. And Josh and I are going to give our predictions on how those seven games are going to play out. Josh, we're going to start with you. Syracuse is currently 5-0. and They've got seven games left on the schedule, several of them to teams that are currently ranked, including... NC State and Clemson and Wake Forest. Uh, Pittsburgh and Florida State have both been in the rankings this year, as has Notre Dame. How do you see these seven games playing out? Because there's no question that the caliber of competition is certainly going to go up um, than, than what it has been in the first five games. I mean, you talk about the the last this last seven games, Trish, you know, with conference play starting and everybody and right and their mother has been looking forward to see how this issue team reacts to this portion of the schedule. But um, just deeper dive. I break this, this last uh, last seven games into three major key games um, that can be um, program defining, at least for this year, for the issue team. Talking about October 22nd, Death Valley, Clemson. Um, we're hype. We, we love this SU defense. You look at Clemson, South Carolina, <laughs> hashtag the best football is played in the South. That's a defense over there. Miles Murphy, probably the best pass rusher in the in college football, not named Will Anderson. Brian Brisey, when you have <laughs> almost say something crazy. When you have interior defense alignment that are ranked as the top guy in the recruiting class, it's for a reason. You know, guys at that position usually don't have, you know, the type of impact that you want as you know, huge marquee guys. So, and even with him, you know, he's had, when he's been able to stay on the field, he's a guy that, you know, uh, McShay and Kyber are looking at in their big board top 20, the top 32. So that's the thing to where this SU team has played Clemson close, you know, obviously big upset in 2018, but 
not not that, that's not a big challenge for SU. That's a big challenge for any team in college football to go Absolutely. into the valley and get a win. Especially when you look at, you know, we talked about some of the big question marks we have for this SU team um, at quarterback. Clemson questions that quarterback have kind of, you know, DJU has kind of uh, hit them out of the park, Aaron Judge style, per se. Looking at a bat, you having a literally an ACC battle with him and Sam Hartman. And uh, Sam Hartman, a guy that already has been acknowledged as a certified uh, again, legendary caliber college quarterback, went ahead with him, outdoed him. And this is a guy that we're talking about last year, may not even be a starter. So playing a great Clemson team, great defense. Great quarterback play, and you know Will Shipley. He's he a little seasoned down there too. He's no Travis Etienne, but he'll do for a barbecue. So that'll <laughs> be, you know, even if this NC, even if we can pull out this NC State win, I can foresee it now. No SU fans should have any expectation of us winning that game, and that's straight like that. But it'll be an interesting litmus test or measuring to see how competitive they can be in, I would say, one of the most hostile environments in college football. So. That's what it is on that one. So you're talking about uh, Pitt, November fifth uh, on, on Saturday. Like that doesn't really matter, but for the games are on Saturday. Um, you know, a lot of people think about how much they lost. Kenny Pickett, shout out to the JTS, he just lost to them. But um, you got like Keaton Slovis. A lot of people don't even realize that he is very well traveled. But you know, preseason going into uh, in that in the preseason, he was the most experienced ACC quarterback. He had the most career pass attempts in the ACC going into this going into the season. So that's a veteran guy um, at a quarter at a position that's veteran experience and um, you know being able, having composure is highly valued. So that's you know that's a security blanket and the, just that's um, for all the growth that Garrett has done. A security blanket is not the term I think we would use to describe him. So then you got a guy over there, uh, Israel uh, Abikanda. We're gonna call him Big Easy because that's the first and last time I'm gonna try to say that last name. Izzy, um, Izzy, Big Izzy, Izzy, like a spark. That's um. You know, we talked about Sean Tucker all year and his very expectations and Heisman candidate. This is the guy in the ACC that nobody wants to tackle outside of Sean Tucker. You know, even just looking at some of his uh, his tape and knowing about him going into the season, like that's a really big dude. Um, as you probably know, Mike, your team is um, uh, perpetrating this. A lot of people are trying to eliminate the running back position from football. But um, when you got a big, tall guy like uh, Izzy, we talk about 6'1", 6'2", 210, 220. Nobody wants to tackle that guy. Nobody wants to tackle a guy that size 10, 15, 20 times a game. So he already has 500, 500 rushing yards for Pitt. Um, like I said, probably NFL caliber guy. Um, so it'll be – this SU defense has a face the back of that caliber, especially a guy that's going to get the ball that amount of times. So that'll be, a, you know, a test to see, like, yeah, there's going to – you know, Pitt is going to have a game plan, and they're going to get in the ball. And, um, you know, the same way that this SU offense flips it on his head with Sean. So we'll have to see how they respond to that. Last big road game, talking about Wake. That's the last, the second to last game of the season in Winston-Salem. Um, we talked about the issue, the Clemson-Wake game. Instant classic. I'll, I'll, I'll say right now there probably won't be 10 uh, college football games this year better than that. I'm not a huge fan of shootouts usually, but that was great quarterback play. Sam Hartman, you know, he's been a guy that's, you know, you know his name for a reason. Um, accuracy. Touch down the middle, you know, ability to make plays outside of the pocket. You know, if he just had if measurables were probably a little different, that would be a guy you're talking about uh, in the NFL conversation. But, you know, as a college guy, he's a guy that you definitely need to look for in, in that Aiden O'Connell type of category. But the main thing for Wake that I want to see, and um, if you're looking at a, a team like Clemson, you know, they had, a, you know, there's always going to be talent at Clemson, but they're, you know, they had, they had an experience in the secondary and it showed in the Wake game. 
the slow misplay that Sam Hartman has with his running backs. You know, Dave Clawson um, has really got uh, another quote unquote basketball school um, really jumping in NC with uh, the momentum he's built. The wake has been really good for the past three to four years. And I think that's been one of the big catalysts because you can see it. And I just know as a player, like the slow mesh, the way that they utilize it, it just causes so many different decisions that have been made very a lot quicker than usual on defense. You're looking at safeties coming down. You're looking at different coverages, you know, that are that are pre-snap reads versus post-snap reads. Well, you don't even know when the actual ball – well, you know when the ball is snapped, but you don't even know if it's play action or not until the ball is thrown in the air because of how slow their mesh is. So that's, a, you know, that's just an interesting component to that Wake offense, one of the most dynamic offenses in the country. They have probably, I would think, two – Legitimate NFL receivers, A.T. Perry, and, you know, bless the other brother's name, but I can't think of it right now. I think Dominique something. He had two touchdowns in the Clemson game, so NFL scouts know his name. That's the important part. But, no, that'll be a thing to where you have legit talent and you have a unusual system that works repeatedly. So, yeah, they almost beat Clemson with this, with, you know, with that uh, slow mesh play, and that slow mesh being a big reason why. So, uh, you know, the big difference between SU and Clemson is Clemson has a um, – inexperienced secondary. I think we even acknowledged throughout this whole season that SU hangs his hat in his secondary. So that'll be a test. You know, we talked about the Purdue game as a litmus test of like how good can this Purdue team be against a team that, you know, is going to throw the ball 50 times. That'll be another test to see like how would this way, how would this SU team look, uh, go up against um, a passing attack that, you know, you're talking about Sam, Sam Harmon, A.T. Perry, and um, that slow mesh. That's probably one of the top 10 passing offenses in, the, in college football. So that you, we think we have a good secondary. That Wake Forest game will really show us how good of a secondary we have. Yeah, I, that's. Uh, I mean, you just you just look at last year as an example of of, of Wake Forest Syracuse, and that was a forty to thirty seven ball game. And it wouldn't surprise me if it was something like that again. Um, you know, when I look at the last seven games, I'll just I'll go through each one and, and how I see them playing out. I think Syracuse against NC State. I think the team is going to be absolutely completely fired up the extra week off. Uh, I think the, the game, the atmosphere is going to be absolutely off the charts. We heard um, athletics director, John Wildack say this week that there's already over 40,000 sold for that game. So you could be pushing 45,000 to a sellout by the time you get to game time. And, you know, it's potentially the biggest game in the dome in 20 some odd years because it, it could be a top 20 matchup at that point. And because it could mean bowl eligibility for Syracuse and um, you know, even more national respectability and, and all of that. I, I think, uh, I think Syracuse is, is going to pull that, pull that win out, maybe similar to 2018 when NC state came to town and it was a close game and Syracuse pulled away in the fourth quarter. Wouldn't surprise me if it kind of went along the same lines, but NC state's very talented. There's no question about that. So NC state winning wouldn't be a surprise, but I'm going into that game um, looking, giving an edge to Syracuse. And as you mentioned at Clemson, um, I know that Syracuse has given Clemson some problems since they've been in the ACC, even when Syracuse hasn't been all that good. Um, It's, schematically it's given Clemson some issues and um, they certainly have been very physical with Clemson Um, Syracuse's defense has, and that's given them some problems last year was a, I think a 14 to 10 game or something like that, or 17, 14 game. Uh, So, you know, it's very, very close and low scoring because um, as, as you mentioned with, with DJU, he, he struggled all of last season. He was not very good. Um, Syracuse offensively last year was right about that point where, 
the teams were starting to figure out that Garrett Schrader wasn't going to beat you throwing the football. And, and so Clemson pretty much threw everyone in the box and said, Sean Tucker's not beating us. Um, he's still had over hundred yards in that game. Um, but he didn't lead to, you know, 20 some odd, 30 some odd points. Uh, this year's offense, I think for Syracuse has the potential to be a little bit more diverse. Um, but I, I still think, especially being at Clemson, they've won 36 or 37 home games in a row. Uh, I'm not predicting that Syracuse is, is going to pull that upset, but I do think it'll be a competitive game for most of it, but um, could be one where Clemson pulls away, you know, mid to late third quarter, they start to pull away and, and kind of put the game away. Notre Dame is a really interesting one for me because going into the season, Notre Dame was viewed as a potential national championship contender. And then they lost their first two games, including the home opener against Marshall of all teams. They lost to Marshall at home. Now they've been better since uh, there's, there's no question about that. Uh, they, they won two in a row, um, two or three in a row, whatever it is. And um, you know, now I think they're starting to look like that team that, that everyone thought they were going to be going into the season. So they're starting to round out um, into form a little bit here. And so they've beaten Cal and, and North Carolina uh, in the last two games. So they're, they're sitting at um, two and two, they've got BYU and Stanford and, and then UNLV before they come play Syracuse. So there's, they're two and two right now, but there's a very strong chance that they could end up at, at five and two and, and likely back in the rankings by the time they come to Syracuse. So um, I don't, I don't know that they're quite as, they're not as bad as what people were kind of talking about them as after the first two games, but they're also not as good as what the expectations were preseason. Um, this is a winnable game for Syracuse, I think, but I just have this feeling that that's going to be a game where Notre Dame shows up and plays well. So um, I, I'm going into that expecting Syracuse to, to lose, but then conversely going to at Pittsburgh, even though it's on the road and Pittsburgh was really good last year and, and they've kind of had Syracuse's number. Um, yes. Slovis is very experienced. He's a solid quarterback. I don't think he's anywhere near Kenny Pickett. They don't have Jordan Addison. They have struggled offensively this year to be a consistently good offensive football team. Um, they've turned the ball over more this year than they did last year. Defensively, they haven't been nearly as good, especially stopping the run. I think that's a game where Syracuse can go into Pittsburgh and, and pull off a win there. Uh, Florida State at home. Florida State had a great start to the season. Wins at LSU, as, as an example. They got back into the rankings. Um, they had a setback against against uh, Wake Forest last week, but as we know, Wake Forest is really good. Um, that it wouldn't surprise me if that ended up being a game between two ranked teams, but given that it's in the dome, I'll give Syracuse a slight edge there. Um, at Wake Forest, given how good Sam Hartman is, how much talent they have offensively, I'm not expecting Syracuse to go in and win that game, though I do think it it has the potential to be a pretty entertaining shootout type of a game. And then I think when you look at Syracuse versus Boston College, Boston College has issues along their offensive line. They haven't been anywhere near as good defensively as, as what people expected. Um, you know, Zay Flowers, their, their um, all-world wide receiver, is a tremendous talent. Their quarterback, Phil Jerkovich, has, has the potential to be um, – 
a really good player in certain games. He hasn't been very consistent this year, but I think Syracuse is a better team. So I think Syracuse is going to go in and, and do some things, especially with a porous offensive line to shut down Boston College, shut down their offense, and uh, they'll be able to do enough on the offensive end uh, to win that game. So all in all, I've got Syracuse winning against NC State. Pittsburgh, Florida State, and Boston College. I have them losing to Clemson, Notre Dame, and Wake Forest. And that would put Syracuse at nine and three and in a pretty darn good bowl game. Mm. Nine and three and likely ranked still at that point as well. I think most Syracuse fans would take that, right? Four and three in the final seven games, given the, the caliber of opponents. I think they'd be pretty, pretty happy with that. I mean, you know, great minds think alike, sir. You know, I definitely I, we pull. I will pull into the garage at four and three as well. We're only place that actually we're going to differentiate is uh that third loss. You have them losing to Notre Dame. Um, I have them losing to Pitt. Um, Notre Dame is just you know perpetual uh, underachieving program at this point for a long time. You can go back and check my receipts at the beginning of the season. I said that Notre Dame didn't have anything outside of Michael Mayer and um. SU will probably win that game, even when I thought they were quote unquote national championship contenders. So uh yeah, um, I just think that you know Pitt is a really tough place to play. Do not forget that they played a Tennessee team that's now a top 10 team in the country, really, really, really tough at in Hines. Um, so I just wouldn't underestimate and be so uh, quick to you know give them a win out there and um I guess up here in a very tough environment to win as you talk about uh Death Valley. So uh yeah, I'll pull in nine and three. Uh, losses to Clemson, Pitt, and uh, oh my goodness, and Wake at a and uh, and Winston Salem, and yeah, like you said, nine games. Um, these goes guys to get the ACC championship game, and I think if you have nine games and uh, theoretically only losing the teams that have been ranked, um, I don't you know, learning on the job, don't know how the coastal and Atlantic divisions work in the ACC, but I feel like that should be able to get you into the ACC championship game. Well, I I think in order to get there, they got to be Clemson unfortunately, because they're in the Atlantic with Clemson. So see that it's, if you, if you beat NC state, um, now you've established yourself as the number two team in the Atlantic, which is great. Um, The now next year, they don't have divisions anymore. Mm. So in the, in the year where they don't have divisions, I think a nine and three team that would get you in the discussion. It might be between you and wake forest that it could come down to who wins that game because you then get the tiebreaker going head to head. Uh, but if Syracuse wants to represent the Atlantic, they have, to, they're going to have to win at Clemson. Cause I don't know that Clemson's going to lose uh, given they've already beaten NC state. They've already beaten wake forest. The last team I think left on their schedule in they, conference. All these, all these are in the Atlantic too. Yes. NC okay. state and wake are all in the Atlantic. Okay. Um so the coastal is just not very good this year. I mean, Duke, Duke has been good. You know, Duke is having a, a good start to the season. Um, the good start to the season is based on no one expecting them to be anywhere near competitive in any way, shape or form before the season. And so now they won a few games and people are saying, Oh, look at the story Duke is, um, which I get, you know, that happens, but um, even still, I, I think the four or five best teams in the ACC are all in the Atlantic. And that's the problem that Syracuse has. But if you beat NC State, you establish yourself as the number two team in the Atlantic. Uh, now you have to go win at Clemson if you want to legitimately get to the ACC championship game. That's It's going to be tough, but, you know, hey, if going into the season you said, listen, if you want to be the ACC, get to the ACC championship game, you got to win that game. 
Everything else will take care of itself. You win that mm. game, you're going. I think they take it. So we'll see what happens. They want to go one and zero every week, and you know that Clemson week is just like every other week. So you know the one. I I think what you're saying is that one and zero that week will be more significant than any other one and zero the rest of the season. No doubt. No doubt. That'll do it for episode 50 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast presented by Hoffman Sausage Company and Bet Online. For Josh Crawford, I'm Mike McAllister. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.